In commercial real estate, there are stories of failure, stories of success, and everything in between. Dallas-Fort Worth is no stranger to these stories. From the NAOP North Texas chapter, this is the Real Estate Junkies Podcast. All right, so today on the podcast, we have Sean Dalfin of Dalfin Industrial. Um, and Sean, he's been heavily involved in uh, his family business and actually runs the day-to-day operations now. Um, Sean, man, I think you guys have, what, over $5 billion uh, assets under management, close to, I think, $40 million was was what I read recently. Yeah, Tony, exactly. Uh, we've we've done quite well, and the, uh, the business has grown substantially over the years. Yeah, it just feels like, um, I mean, the last 10 years specifically, you guys have just exploded and really changed kind of your strategy, right? Uh, yeah, we, we have. Um, what we did was we decided to focus on the asset class that we liked best, the one that we were best at and that we made the most money in, which... Uh, in hindsight, was an easy decision. Yeah, and no, so uh, no question. Uh, we focused exclusively on infill industrial, and that's what we do today. Yeah. And uh, what I want to start with is, is you know, knowing that, um, you know, I think your, your father was involved with this, and you grew up in Canada, right? Yeah. And did you guys early on, I don't know how much involvement you had in this, but didn't you guys have a, a kind of a retail um, platform or a retail company that you all started with? Uh, Yeah, my only involvement was uh, every now and then um, going to a store with my father when I was young. And I remember uh, they were retail stores, department stores and really, you know, tertiary, middle of the nowhere markets in Canada. And uh, when I would go with him, if I wanted a toy and he was nice enough to actually get it for me that day, even if it was a store that he owned, he would pay for it. That's cool. And he always told me nothing is free. Yeah. And so I remembered it. Yeah. Those lessons were the ones that stick with you, right? They do. And, you know, how successful was that was that retail company? I mean, I think you guys had a number of locations that you grew to, right? And, and seemingly very successful in the Canadian market. Uh, it was very successful for periods of time. Uh, but in the early 90s, uh, with the retail recession, uh, it, it was no longer successful. So my father made the really hard move of closing the retail business and focusing on a new business. And that was uh, investing in commercial real estate, primarily in the U.S. Yeah. And I think just from you and I talking a little bit, um, he, he had some experience with his own stores, right? I mean, I think early on, kind of in conjunction with this business, didn't you guys kind of play landlord and owner um, of those shops themselves? Yeah, that's where he got a real feel for the real estate owning uh, business. Uh, and that's because... He, they were, uh, you know, owner users in a lot of the the buildings. Unfortunately, a lot of those buildings were located in really tertiary markets. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the adaptive reuse wasn't great. But, um, you know, that's where he got his start. Yeah. And why do you think he pivoted to to America and U.S. so so quickly after that? I mean, was it was the rise of retail in the late ni- or excuse me the early nineties was was that a factor or was the U.S. just you know a better opportunity, if you will? You know, in hindsight, I think you can give a lot of good reasons that sound good. Uh, I think that he was looking for something to to do to earn money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I don't believe in accidents. He saw an, an advertisement for uh, an auction of an FDIC-owned or RTC-owned property, and uh, he decided to bid on it, and the rest is history. Yeah. 
And, and did he start with retail early on, just kind of knowing that he knew that product, he knew those types of assets? His first building was a retail center. Uh, it was called Bayside Bridge Plaza. And that was the first building that he bought in 1992, I think. And, and early on, were you were you getting involved and getting exposed to these types of deals? Um, me personally, the exposure that I had to his real estate was sweeping the parking lots. Yeah. Uh, from when I was thirteen, you know, to you know, at some point through through high school, uh, that's what I would do. I would go out there and sweep the parking lots, wash the windows, and I would get paid. Pride of ownership too. Uh, yeah, that's how I, I guess I got my allowance, but (laughs) it, 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 uh, something I remembered, but when it was a positive experience, but that's the, the really involvement I had early on. Yeah. And and so, you know, in those, in the nineties, what, what was kind of the idea with your, with your father and and kind of buying these assets? Was it, you know, was it fun based if, if that was even kind of around at that time? Was it, um, you know, just a building every so often? What was kind of the approach there? Um, my father's. Uh, a visionary. He's a deep value buyer. That's how he is. And he's able to take a busted office park or retail park, call it, and convert it to a thriving office park or vice versa. And so he would focus on those type of opportunities and buy about a building a year with friends and family investment. The fund investing uh, was came later when I joined, but um, that was what he would do. Buy about a building a year. Um, they wouldn't look to sell, and it was just accumulate a portfolio for cash flow and uh, uh, you know create value in one way or another. Yeah, and I, I think he was doing all this from Canada, right? I mean, for a number of years. Yes, he did um, it all. At least he sat in Canada, uh, but he did open offices in the U.S. Uh, they were satellite offices. Uh, I know there was one in, in Atlanta, one in Miami, Orlando, and um, Dallas. Uh, you know, and they were you know where you'd have a property manager and uh, uh, you know an assistant out there, and uh, that's that's what we did then. Yeah, and, and what what was your early involvement, or what piqued your interest about commercial real estate? Was it um, you know, we, we've talked with some other folks before of, you know, real estate and commercial real estate is just in the family, right? So it seems to be a logical progression of this is what I want to do ultimately. Uh, was that your path? Um, did you always want to do this or, or how did you ultimately arrive in that? Well, um, Tony, I looked up to my father and that's what he did. And so although I did other things, uh, you know, I started a software firm when I was in university and uh, I I always had it in the back of my head that I was going to go into real estate because I respected him and that's what he did. Uh, I didn't necessarily know if it would be with him, but um, I knew that's something I wanted to do. And so that's why I I guess I gravitated towards it. So early on, I know uh, you went to university. Tell me a little bit about that experience and ultimately just how you got into real estate. Yeah, I I, uh, studied psychology and finance in uh, McGill University as well as uh, Tel Aviv University. Uh, Israel. yeah, in Israel, uh, it was. I lived there for a year. It was uh, an amazing experience. Uh, I love the country. Um, I I first did uh, a software business while I was in school, and then I pivoted. I did very very well in that, and I, I pivoted into uh, uh, brokerage actually, mm-hmm. looking for deals that I can invest in. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I worked for NAI Commercial in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was there NAI, NAI's first office there. And uh, I did quite well finding deals and um, investing in them, actually. Really? Uh, and so it's not, I mean, I was getting paid for deals that I was investing in. So, uh, worked out yeah, well. I, no, it can only work for so long. Yeah. And my father and I partnered on a whole bunch of deals together. And, um, that's how we started to work together. Yeah. So you were on the investment side, I guess, at NAI for, for a number of years. Um, I think you mentioned you were there for two or three years during that time. Were you, were you kind of getting an education from your dad as well? Or were you becoming more involved in those deals or what was that? Uh, what was that time like? Well, interestingly enough, I was there for around three years and I was, uh, I became one of the top brokers in Canada, uh, in that period of time, at least for, uh, certain, certain periods I was. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time learning from others. Uh, and I actually met with a lot of very successful real estate owners. And then in my final year, I actually took an office in his office space. Uh, although I wasn't working for his firm, um, I was trying to pick his brain and get as much information as I could from him, uh, and learning a lot from him at the same time. So I would say it was a combination of both, but, uh, I always wanted to, I I respect him tremendously and wanted to learn from him. Yeah. And right after NAI, I mean, did you, did you go to work at Dauphin or how did that kind of process work for you? Uh, it was just something that happened, uh, Maybe it more just happened to him, but for me, it was more strategic. Mm-hmm. I placed myself in a position where uh, I became uh, like office furniture there. So he noticed me and yeah. I was there all the time. And next thing you know, uh, I was on the payroll. So, um, you know, for me, it was uh, just uh, an effectuation of a strategy. And for him, it was uh, just happened. But it wasn't something that was necessarily on his end intended. It wasn't a family business. It was something that he did, and um, it ended up that I did too. Yeah. So your early years there was it was it more about just learning and understanding the business and specifics to Dalfin, or was it about um, you know making your mark, or what what were those early years like? I would say, especially in my early years, uh, it's all about making your mark. You know, it's full of ego and, and wanting to make your mark uh, and, and wanting to do something different and grandiose, right? Uh, and acting like I knew, but didn't probably know that much. Um, but I did have some luck on my side, and we we uh, so effectively. I I'm a believer that if I had a saying, if you stand in the road for too long someone or something's going to hit you. And so uh, that belief translated to some of those assets that we were holding for extended periods of time. Well, if we weren't prepared to buy assets for the pricings that they were trading at, and if tenants were having trouble paying rents in certain uh, markets, maybe it was time to sell. Because maybe if we held, someone or something was going to push us down. And so we made the decision to uh, sell the majority of uh, the existing portfolio. And between 2006 to 2008, we sold. And thereafter, I became more heavily involved in really the leadership and trying to, uh, you know, shape the company to some of my visions, but always uh, alongside my father. And so I would say that he was uh, an active 
not always willing participant. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think you were doing all this still from Canada, right? I mean, you guys both had the main office up there, but you had multiple satellite offices at this point. Yeah, we did. We didn't have too many in 2010 when we decided to focus exclusively on industrial, but um, we did it from Canada. Uh, that's just where we lived. So we did yeah. it from there. What was that like managing from there? I mean, is there any differences from being here, boots on the ground, or, or was it pretty um, streamlined and, and, you know? We recognized really early on, I know I recognized really early on, that um, real estate is a local business. Yeah. And you're going to do best if you have people on the ground who really understand that given market. Uh, you know, Google Earth can only show you so much. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so it was always ideal to be in those markets. Uh, and so it posed some challenges to manage it from afar, although we did have some satellite offices. Um, we took that knowledge and parlayed it into, call it the platform that we have today, which is you know, boots on the ground in mm -hmm. the vast majority of markets in which we operate. Yeah. And, and I want to go back to something you said, um, you know, back in 2007. And wow, what what foresight to sell off? I think I, I read something close to 70, 75 percent of y'all's entire asset base at that time. Uh, obviously, you know, great financial crisis was horrible for the real estate industry and, and just, you know, folks in general in the U.S., um, what was the thesis during that time? Was it was it keep the powder dry, or was it did you guys actively pursue deals that were maybe in distress, or what was going on here, kind of during that time, that time? Um, you know, you could say that we got lucky, but I think you know, with all luck, there's the call it residue of training, and uh, what we did was we looked on the ground what was happening. And certain tenants were having trouble, as I mentioned, paying rents. Um, we were seeing velocity slow down for leasing. And we were seeing cap rates continue to compress and leverage use going crazy. And we couldn't buy anything. And so for all those reasons, we said it's time to sell. Um, it was, you know, people say it was prescient. But for us, it was just, you know, that's what we do. We were looking at those fundamentals. And if we couldn't buy and prices kept going up, let's just sell. And, uh, yeah, we sold what was then a lot of our portfolio, but, I mean, the portfolio was much smaller than, than it is today. Yeah. I, I would like to bring that up, to actually, to, you know, where we're at today is, you know, everybody I've heard for the last two years is the market just keeps going up, 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 right? And it's just a, it's a matter of time of when does the cliff come? How big is it? I think a lot of the things that you just said echo to be true today with, you know, cap rate compression, although, I mean... Rental rates are going going up like crazy. Leasing is still going up like crazy, as is development. What similarities or things have you learned from back then that you're taking into today? Tony, I think it all comes down to, you know, the demand for your product and the fundamentals behind that. Uh, why I think the GFC was different than today. One, the leverage use is a lot more conservative today than it was then. Um, and two... You know, industrial has become, you know, absolutely critical in supply chain, more so than it's ever been, given uh, the reliance on e-commerce and the growth of e-commerce. And uh, it's just been a seismic shift in consumer buying habits. Yeah. And so those are lots of ways of saying that um, the demand to lease this industrial space is stronger than it's ever been, you know, by multiples. Yeah. 
And um, we're seeing the rents continue to rise, justifying those prices. Now, how long will that last? Uh, it may ebb and flow, but uh, we're very data oriented. And our belief is that you have a lot of runway. If retail is 15% of, uh, or it's e-commerce is 15% of overall retail sales, what happens when it's 30? Mm-hmm. It's not going down. Uh, it's only going up. And if you look at your supply chain pie chart, real estate is your smallest cost component in your supply chain yep. chart. And um, it's a rounding error at times, 3 to 6%. And so if you're not close to those consumers, you simply can't profit to deliver those goods. Therefore, it's completely logical that a tenant would be willing to pay even double their rent without blinking yeah. if they recognize that if they're not near those consumers, because the transport cost will increase, they're out of business. So therefore, you have a lot of runway to go, and every billion of e-commerce sales translates today to uh, a little over a million square feet mm-hmm. of uh, required industrial space. I think today it's around 1.25 million feet of industrial space, and um, we don't have enough industrial yeah. to you know, account for the demand. Yeah, it's kind of funny you're, you're just saying that. And I think the cool thing about you guys is you had sort of the early learnings in retail of how to have that successful business. And I think you or your dad might have said something that I read of if you're in online retail sales, the market is the world, right? 24 hours, seven days a week, shops open. And I think that's what we're seeing is just with the pandemic and with just the, the e-commerce rise in general, there's nothing more true than that, which has been fascinating. True. So, you know, it's 2008, 2009. Um, I think a little, little bit after that time, you guys made sort of the, in, the shift of the entire platform to move to industrial, right? Yeah. Uh, we made a decision uh, to focus on one thing and to do it really well. Yeah. I used to have a little bit of a, a little post-it note next to my desk. It said, winners focus, losers spray. And so we decided that we're going to focus. Yeah and be master of one thing. And at the time, that one thing was where we made our most money and which had the lowest carry cost, at least from the you know, different asset classes that we were in. And that was infill industrial. Today it's called last mile, but then it was simply industrial that was close to decision makers and close to the workforce because it was within the major markets. So we decided that's what we were going to focus on. And um, we raised our first fund in 2010 and uh, devoted to that strategy. And that was the first time we ever raised a fund. Uh, and uh, were many, many funds since then. And um, you know, that strategy has proved to be um, you know, very good for us. And we continue to focus on, uh, call it doing the same thing that we've done for well over a decade, but doing it better and larger but always holding on to those fundamentals. Real estate's a local business. Uh, look for assets where you can create value. Be in markets that you want to be in and that people want to be in and businesses want to be in. Um, look at supply-constrained markets. Uh, don't sacrifice on quality. You know, and a myriad of other things that we look for uh, that still resonate true today that they did, you know, well over a decade ago. So making a shift to industrial right that and really almost crafting a new thesis for the company, 
what was that like early on selecting those markets and, and kind of being um, really strategic about that? I mean, was there a general focus on, uh, you mentioned infill, but, but was there, were there certain markets that you guys leaned into? Um, or tell me a little bit about your, your thought process early on. Uh, early on, it was uh, really the growth markets. Uh, Florida was a favorite of ours. Uh, we'd done really well in Florida. And so early on, I would say the markets were really those growth states. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Arizona, Nevada, uh, Florida, Texas, uh, and, and some other markets. But um, it has evolved as we've gotten an understanding of different markets and uh, as we've, you know, expanded our team and our focus. Uh, today, uh, we're very um, data-driven, and we use what we call a top-down, bottom-up approach, which is we determine which markets we're going to be in and then where in those markets, based on analytics that we do, uh, do we want to be located. Mm-hmm. And once we've determined those locations, our boots on the ground then find us the assets that meet our criteria, whether they be buildings or land. Yeah. Were there any missteps early on as you guys were you know, experimenting with maybe assets that were trading under fair market value, um, or maybe it was a market that you were new into. Were there, were there any things that really have kind of shifted um, y'all's thesis um, early on? Uh, you know, people ask, it's a good question. Uh, I think that personally, you don't make what I would call a mistake. You have experiences. Mm. <laughs> and do you want to relive those you're experiences? A yeah, you're a marketing guy. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, they were experiences that weren't good, uh, and we had many. Sure. Uh, and that's how we get better at what we, we do. And some of those include, um, we bought a building, uh, maybe it was in 2013. It was a beautiful 1.1 million square foot industrial building, you know, 36 clear, which at the time was really uh, best in class. It's huge, yeah. Uh, and additional trailer, parking, tons of it. And it had all the bells and whistles that one could want for an industrial building. And guess what? We paid $8 a foot. Only one problem. Paying that for land, though. It's in the middle of nowhere. It was in Marion, Illinois. Now, Marion may be a nice little town, but um, it's certainly not metro. Mm. And so um, one of the lessons that we learned was that you could get a building for free, but if there's not someone to lease it and then someone to buy it, then what is it really worth? Mm-hmm. And so uh, our focus has been much more, uh, you know, using that experience on location and uh, than it has been per se on that per foot cost because you can get lost in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another experience that we had, or call it mistake, whatever way you want to slice it, uh, we, you know, for our second fund, there was an asset in there that we bought in Houston. We bought it for an 11 cap, which is wow. a crazy cap rate. And it was a big oil and gas tenant, and it was a sale lease back. But the assets themselves were definitely not our criteria of what we would, you know, look for in quality industrial assets. They were, you know, cranes served metal buildings along with a two-story office, not enough loading and not enough parking, you know. And in the end of the day, um, we lost money on it. Uh, and the reason being is because we strayed from fundamentals again. You want real estate that's high quality, that is not, you know, uh, designed and can't be, can be, ref- it's not designed for a single tenant's use. 
and that is one that can be used by many tenants. Mm -hmm. So if one leaves, another one can take it. And that has the fundamentals that you need for a successful building. And this one simply didn't. Mm -hmm. Once that tenant left, you were looking for a needle in a haystack. And so, you know, all these mistakes helped shape, you know, the way we do things and to improve on them. Yeah. And I think kind of during that time, um, just for you personally, I think you made the move here to Dallas, didn't you? 2014, was it? Uh, yeah, around then, uh, give or take. Uh, I, I would tell people that it was a business move, but uh, it's not. Uh, it was a move because uh, the woman who would become my wife lived there. <laughs> and uh, we did have an office there, and so it was very convenient from a justification standpoint to yeah. say that that's the reason I was going. But, you know, if I'm <laughs> going to be 100% honest, uh, it was what was most important for me, and that hasn't changed. Yeah. And so... Uh, uh, it was a, a great move, and today Dallas is our head office. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is, man, that was not by chance that you met her and you guys have obviously opened this office. And, I mean, DFW being the industrial market that it is, things have worked out very well, it seems, on all fronts. It, it has. We're grateful. And, and so being here, what was that change like, having, you know, growing this office? And I think kind of shortly thereafter you guys developed an actual development company under, under Dauphin or within the company. Um, that was obviously a big change for you guys. Was that just a factor um, or, or was that a function of looking to the market and just seeing that margins weren't there, um, fewer outsourcing, or, or what was that process like? Well, we had, um, just to clarify, we developed a bunch over the years. Uh, it was a an, a an increased emphasis in development happened because there was the demand uh, for the product and a lack of supply, and that we were seeing older assets trading for far more than replacement cost. Mm -hmm. So early on in the GFC and leading up, you didn't need to develop anything, right? You can just pick things up for very cheaply. But as things appreciated in value and tenant demand really started to grow, um, from our standpoint, we looked at a lot of assets and said, look, if you buy an older asset, depreciation is simply not just a tax thing. Your asset is less valuable with age. Mm -hmm. Now, if we can build to perfection to modern standards in ideal locations and get a higher yield, well, doesn't that make more sense? And so that was where the focus uh, you know, went in terms of increasing the development. Development today is still not you know, as much as acquisitions in our business, and our funds have a maximum in terms of the development dollars that we uh, invest, but it is a large component of our company. Yeah, and I think you guys have had some early on successful deals, um, you know, whether it be with the, in the DFW airport in their land or up in Frisco, McKinney in that area. What? Talk to me a little bit about those differences between those two developments. Well, I mean, we, we develop all over the country. Uh, you know, we have tens of millions of feet of development, uh, but those deals in particular, um, they were nuanced deals. One was, you're talking about on airport dirt, and so it was a land lease play, mm -hmm. uh, which was different. That actually didn't go into a fund. It was outside a fund for that fundamental reason. At that time, there was a delta between what fee simple dirt and leasehold dirt was trading for, mm -hmm. and so we perceived it as somewhat of a risk. Um, today, it's changed a bit. Uh, and they were also larger tenants who are looking for space in that market. And so there you can see what our nuanced focused approach is, and that is to build 
or buy the kind of product that tenants are demanding in those specific areas. Mm-hmm. In the DFW market, it was larger tenants who were looking to serve, you know, the immediate area plus overflow from the airport, etc. In McKinney, where we developed, there were more local businesses, uh, still national companies, but looking to service the local area there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we built smaller spaces. And uh, not not incubator, but 25, 50,000 square foot spaces, 100,000 foot. And uh, that was really what the market was demanding up there. So, um, you know, real estate isn't a one size fits all. It's know your market, know it cold and find the areas where you have to pounce. And I can tell you uh, from doing this for a number of years, you start to see things very clearly where others simply don't. Mm -hmm. And that helps with focus. When you focus on one thing and become an expert in it, you're able to um, see things very clearly uh, that somebody who's not as focused as you may not see. And I attribute that a lot to our success, uh, that our team shares that mentality and really you know, epitomizes it in each of those markets. And we've been able to pick up properties um, that others may have missed because our team's just focused on those markets and knew they were going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And keeping just kind of with the DFW and, and, and Texas um, markets, I know Mesquite is, is a recent large development for you guys. I know Urban has some stuff going on over there. Paladin is in Sunnyvale. That market's opened up a lot, hasn't it, in the last year? Yeah, well, we, we've been in Mesquite for a, a lot of years. Um, you know, again, it tracked back to we determined through our analytics where we wanted to be. And we loved the Mesquite market because of the workforce there. Mm-hmm. We thought that next to Garland, it was actually the top workforce in the Metroplex. And so uh, I remember back when we, we bought the old Shippers Distribution Center from, I think it was Alaska Permanent Trust. And um, we knew that Shippers was planning to vacate. It was 420,000 square foot building with 28 clear, didn't have all the modern bells and whistles, didn't have ESFR. Uh, but we recognized the value of the location, mm-hmm. the additional land that we bought, and that um, on the supply chain pie chart, again, it was location and workforce, which were huge drivers. And that was going to be more impactful than cheap real estate that was south. And turns out mm-hmm. we were correct. And within one month of shippers vacating, Amazon leased it for 10 years. Wow. And um, it was the same logic that we used to develop more within Mesquite. There's an excellent workforce. You're seven to 10 minutes from the CBD. Uh, you know, you have all the major arteries to get there. You have, you know, all the population that you would want. And you don't have, uh, you know, extraordinary amount of land given how much is being absorbed. So for us, it was a no-brainer. And that's why we've continued to build and everything we've built thus far, we've leased. Yeah, that, that's man, that's great to hear. And I think that's going to be the challenge for developers going forward, right, is because land is, is trading for such a high amount and you know, redevelopment is having to come more into the picture, um, whether, you know, I saw Black Creek is doing something, started doing it last year with a large manufacturing facility. Do you feel like there are still those infill areas where land's available, or do you think we're going to have to shift more to the redevelopment model? Um, I think over time you'll probably shift more to redevelopment because our belief is that uh, the need for industrial far outweighs uh, 
at least infill the ability to build it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your, your demand is going to far outweigh your supply. And so it's a, a natural progression that you're going to have to redevelop other buildings to meet it. Um, we are still managing to find infill pieces of dirt, whether they have to include some kind of demo on there mm-hmm. or maybe slight modification of existing buildings, ripping out the office and converting them to full industrial, whatever the case may be from a land standpoint, we've still managed to do that to date and we continue to do it. Over 80% of our deals are off market and we operate in the biggest markets nationwide. And so, um, again, it's a knowledge of the, you know, the, the markets you're playing in a really an intimate knowledge that allow you to find that now, will those sites eventually run out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we still are finding them today. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I think we've we've covered it all. All I can say is if you're interested in going into the real estate business, um, what I would give advice to myself, you know, uh, 20 years ago, I would say to uh, focus on a given asset class that interests you it's possible that you'll change that later on and recognize that real estate, you play the long game. Yeah. It's not trading stocks uh, and the values don't move every day. Uh, but there's a reason why wealth is created in real estate because you have a tangible asset. And at the end of the day, you can touch and feel it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, I think we're blessed and I am to be in the best business in the world. Yeah. No question. Well, Sean, great to talk to you today. And man, thanks for the time. We'll be looking forward uh, for, for more of the same from you guys going forward. Thank you very much, Donnie.